The Money Show. Other people's money. Always interested in other people's money. We're all interested in other people's money. You see the Kumalos driving a new car. You're going, I wonder where they got that from. Well, that's a nice new car. Um, you see people, you know, all kinds of people with things that you covet. And despite the Ten Commandments, you say, I wish I had a little bit of that. I wish I had a bit of their luck. I wish I had a bit of their talent, a bit of their skill. How did they do it, you wonder? Then you listen to The Money Show and you catch up. Uh, tonight, the turn of former footballer, commentator, super sport commentator, Matthew Booth, uh, on The Money Show this evening. Um, you, you've had, a, I suppose, quite a dry season, Matthew Booth, in terms of commentary, because up until recently, there's not been that much live sport, has there? So it's been a rough year, I'm sure, 2020 for you. No, is he not there? Not there. Well, then we should go to another booth. Uh, the phone booth. No, anyway. Uh, here I am chatting to Matthew Booth because we're so used to people just being there. Um, so what are we going to talk about this evening? Uh, how interested are you in other people's money? Do you sit there often and wonder how on earth did that person, some, especially guys, you were, people you were at school with, and you go, how on earth did they make their money? This, this person was more interested in boys or girls than they were about schoolwork. They were more interested in sport than they were about their schoolwork. They didn't become professional sports people. They weren't particularly gifted academically, cerebrally, you understand. And you think to yourself, how on earth did they achieve what they've achieved? And somehow, some people just flourish long after their school days are over. And they, some people surprise you. And then people you think should have done so incredibly well just don't. And they, and they don't flourish at all. I mean, they do okay. Um, some people bomb out, some people develop terrible personal habits and get caught short by those and they end up, uh, you know, unfortunately on the, on the dustbin of history and that's tragic in many, many cases. Some kids don't make it, you know, past university. They do themselves in in some terrible way or other. But it's, it's the, I, I love the stories of the kids you didn't expect to crack it and they do and it's astonishing. And you just think to yourself, my goodness me, they found their groove in whatever that particular groove was. Uh, for Matthew Booth, I mean, he was always, I think, a very, very good footballer. He's got height on his side. He's like six foot, what, six or something crazy. Um, from Fishhook in Cape Town. That's where he grew up. And he was a huge talent as a footballer. He played uh, for Cape Town Spurs, Mamelodi Sundowns, Ajax Cape Town. And then he spent, I think, six years in Russia playing football there, a bit of time in England. And then he retired six years ago, and uh, he established himself as a football pundit. He is a super sport football pundit and has had a very successful career. And as I was talking to myself a moment ago, Matthew Booth, um, I then was wondering whether or not you'd had a good season or not, but you couldn't have because there's not been much live sport. Other People's Money brought to you by Satrix. Invest in global funds. Invest with Satrix. And Matthew Booth is on the line to us this evening. It's been a, a horrible year for anybody associated with sport in any way, Matthew Booth. How, what sort of 2020 have you had? Yeah, evening, Bruce. It's, it's not only for the sports industry. It's for a lot of us, hasn't it? Oh, no, um, absolutely. But yeah. Particularly you guys. I mean, yeah, you are. You, you, know, you go into a super sports studio, you put on your, your, your jacket and your tie and you get ready to talk about sport and then there's no sport to talk about and that industry dies, doesn't it? Yeah, I think during the hard lockdown, it was tough because nothing was happening. Um, and then we were we were able to open up uh, sooner than 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 the rest. Um, and I think the fact that uh, the PSL, the Premier Soccer League, uh, just recently turned over a billion rand in revenue, 
and the fact that they can stand on their own feet and don't necessarily rely on the national team um, uh, for that revenue. They, they put on a very, very good show, especially from a medical point of view, um, and being able to get all of the teams up to Gauteng and put them in the bubble. Uh, it was really quite something. And they, they pulled it off, which was um, great to be part of. Yeah, I mean, and again, I, I was looking at your Twitter feed and just looking at some of the commentary that you've been making throughout this crisis. I mean, the, I think in the early stages of this crisis, certainly you were quite freaked out by it. I mean, you were really concerned about the the, the health risks of, of what was what was facing us. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, um, you know, unprecedented, really. Um, it's a very popular word that we've all used. Um, and... You know, the new normal is another one. And, you know, at, at first, um, nobody knew what this um, this virus was about. So I can understand the confusion, I think, around, you know, February, March. But I think as, as our, our doctors and scientists began to realize what we were dealing with, um, you know, I think our, our government acted um, exceptionally well, especially from a communication point of view. And that was, that was something that I was very pleased with. Subsequently, there were some odd decisions, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But I think from the sporting uh, fraternity, um, from, a footballing, from the football industry, uh, we did hell of a well. Uh, we got our ducks in a row, and um, the testing was a bit of an issue for some of the clubs. Um, not everybody could afford it, and the testing was a bit slow. Um, they didn't have a hell of a lot of preparation, the coaches, so you had to feel for them. Um, but uh, they put on uh, some fantastic entertainment for people back home. Tell me about life as a former footballer. I mean, is football still your entire life? Have you sort of diversified from football at all? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, I've done, um, I am doing work for Supersport as a, as a pundit. Um, that, that keeps me out of trouble. Um, I'm also <laughs> in the involved with the um, artificial grass industry, which is um been very popular and quite significant, especially in um, Southern Africa, just from a water savings point of view and a developmental point of view, which has been fascinating for me to learn about the, the technicalities and the products that are involved. Um, and then I'm on a couple of disciplinary committee uh, panels, which is rather ironic because I used to sit often, very often on the, <laughs> on the other side of the table. For, um, well, you have experience. So what's your experience in disciplinaries? Well, I've sat there, so I, I know all the tricks, yeah. Yeah, so uh, for the South African Institute for Drug Free Sports uh, and then also the Premier Soccer League, um, and then myself and my wife have been running a, a trust since 2009, uh, which entails um, a football clinics and book clubs. Um, so that's how uh, that's been our give back. Yeah. Talk about uh, talk to me about book clubs. What what's the passion there? Well, we um, you need you only need to come and visit our, our mini library here at home. You know, we've, we've <laughs> both myself and my wife have been oh, avid readers. Um, and then we've got a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old who, who are so too. Um, and I think, you know, everybody is uh, looking for instant gratification these days. And, um, you know, we were brought up on books. And uh, I think the imagination and, and being patient enough to, to read through one um, is vitally important. And I don't think kids these days are doing enough reading um, because of the... The digital content that's out there, um, which is a great pity. So we're doing our bit to try and encourage uh, kids to read of, of all ages. Eh?
Did you have, a, I mean, you, you had a long football career, a good football career, and you uh, your career coincided with the professional era in sport. Let's talk about your money. Um, were, you, were you a good money uh, accumulator during your football career? Because so many footballers, sadly, are not. They get to the end of the career and they go, oh, dear, that was fun. Uh, now I better go and get a job. And off they go and try and try and find themselves some sort of job. But they haven't prepared for the, the post-football life. Yeah, when, when I was young, my, my, my sister always accused me of being a bit tight. And um, <laughs> my pocket money, and I, and I always blamed it on my Scottish heritage. Um, and I think that, that did me well for, for, for going into my um, professional career because not enough of us. In fact, the stats are quite frightening, Bruce. Um, both in Europe and in South Africa, 75% of, of footballers uh, five years after retirement will be either bankrupt, divorced, or drug or alcohol dependent, or a mixture of those. Yeah. Um, and that's in Europe and here in South Africa. If you look at the NBA or NFL, um, very good documentary recently on, on, on I think, uh, Showmax um, called Broke, if I'm not mistaken. Also very similar statistics. Um, so... You know, we, we've got to change the, 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 the fashionable talk in the changing room from from um, which car they bought and how many girls they took home last night to um, what startups, you know, what businesses they're, they're interested in, what they're studying, what books they're reading, you know. So we, we've got to change that, that talk in the changing room. It's a very macho sort of environment, so you can understand what goes on there. Um, and, and it is changing slowly but surely, but not quick enough for my for my liking. So were, were you the nerd then in the squad, whatever squad you were in? You were the guy with the calculator in the room, uh, not uh, not uh, not sort of counting conquests, perhaps, but uh, counting investment opportunities. No, it's far from that. In fact, um, I, I was probably one of the lads, and you know, we we all do something stupid with our, our first. Um, uh, paycheck, uh, but I, I, I realized sooner than the others that, you know, first of all, we've got to maximize our, our earnings. Um, and from the very first professional contract that I signed, I started to save. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of my colleagues um, suffered from perhaps black tax, um, and that's a very serious um, issue. Um, they, a lot of people don't realize that not only do uh, footballers look after themselves, they look after uh, and their immediate family, they look after an extended family. In fact, a, lo- a lot of um, uh, players support their, their surrounding communities and they don't get enough credit for that. And that means that their savings point has to come even sooner. Um, and they, they sort of succumb to um, the status that people, uh, the pressure that society put on professional footballers and the status that comes with it. Um, and I think we also have to try and bulk against that attitude. You know, um, when you look at the English Premier League, when you see players getting off the bus, you look at, you, you see the Louis Vuitton, the Gucci, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we're not earning 300,000 uh, pounds a week, you know. Um, so if we can't live in that, in that world, we have to be a lot more realistic and realize that if you're lucky, you can have a, a, a 10, 15 year career in the, in, in, in the South African Premier League and good money. But, you know, the savings point has got to come as soon as you sign that, that first contract.
I mean, there's a huge amount of pressure on young people, especially if you come from a poor community and you're the local kid who's done good. Um, and there's a huge amount of, sure, of self-satisfaction when you go home and people treat you like the local hero and you've come home and suddenly the pressure builds. We need this, we need this, we need this. And it goes and, and, and the money disappears really, really quickly. And I've asked a couple of footballers this in the past, just about the lack of economic help, so financial support, the sort of training that people, that guys have. And you would think that if footballers, you know, took just 20% of everything they earned and put that away and gave away the rest, <laughs> whatever they wanted to do with it, spent it, what did George Best say? Spent the money on booze, fast cars and, yeah. uh, and, and birds and the rest are just squandered. Um, you know, it's, it's this, this idea that then you're free to do with as you please because nobody's going to look after you as the footballer um, when the money runs out because suddenly you won't be the cool kid anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So, so players have to be very wary of their entourage, who they hang around with. Uh, they've got to be very careful of their, their life partner, who they get involved with, and what at what stage they got involved with him. Um, they, they, players do not trust, or, or players must stop complaining about uh, clubs not looking after them after retirement. Um, uh, ultimately, club owners are run by businessmen who. Only view you as an asset once uh, when you're when you're playing. You know, when you're done, uh, they don't give two hoots about you. So players have to realise that. Um, the best thing that I did uh, was when myself and my wife sat down with our uh, financial advisor, probably about 15 years ago, just to get our ducks in a row. You know, just to just for, for clarity of mind. You know, uh, from a mental point of view, it was such a relief having that meeting and knowing exactly what we can, can and cannot spend what we've put away, et cetera, et cetera. And I would encourage players to, to, to do that. But unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of guys are not particularly trustworthy um, with, a, with a man, a strange man in a suit. <laughs> um, and often when your older players or retired players sit down with younger players, a lot of the times, unfortunately, the players will say, ah, who are you to tell me what to do with my money? You know, you've, you've had your chance. Um, I'm at my physical uh, prime now. Um, you're simply jealous of my of my earnings. You know, um, there's very few players that will actually look you in, in the eye and process what you what you're telling them. It's sad, but it's real. Former footballer Matthew Booth. We'll talk to him more in a moment. I want to get a bit more personal with Matthew Booth in a moment. Matthew Booth tonight's uh, other people's money guest on the Money Show. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield is brought to you by APSA Corporate and Investment Banking. Get your copy of the Africa Financial Markets Index Report at cib.apsa.africa and explore Africa's possibility in detail. That's Africanacity. APSA's a registered FSP. The Money Show. Other people's money. Matthew Booth, our guest this evening. Best financial decision you've ever taken, other than sitting down 15 years ago and having a, a heart-to-heart with a financial advisor, which was a good decision. Um, what's the other best decision you've ever taken, Matthew Booth, this evening? Uh, former Bafana Bafana and Sundowns player, plus lots of other clubs too. Um, but, but what was that decision, Matthew? Yeah, I think it was, um, besides that meeting, um, was was keeping my property. So, you know, as as you... As you increase your, your your salary over the years, especially initially when you, when you start as a part of a player, um, you rent and then you and then you eventually buy your first place. And I'm I was fortunate enough to be able to hold on to that property and, and start to rent it and move into a slightly bigger place and so on and so forth. So I think at the time 
um, when some of my colleagues were, were wasting their money on, on, on other things, um, the best thing that I did was to was to buy a, a property. Um, I think I think later on in my career it became a bit of a, a problem from a management point of view because I managed my, my properties by myself, um, and eventually I got rid of them. Um, but yeah, that, at, that, at the time, definitely uh, buying and holding on to my properties and earning some sort of uh, income from them was was a good feeling. And have you taken the the the, the results of that uh, that money and invested it in stock markets? What have you done with it? Have you uh, put it into art, into cannabis plantations? What have you done with it? Um, yeah, the so um, long term um, policies um, uh, and segmented into uh, education funds for for both my uh, boys. Uh, we do have a, a small. Um, stock uh, market um, portfolio, which has really been hammered off late. Yeah, um, yeah. off, off, also, a small amount of offshore, um, not something that um, I won't be able to do in a greasy uh, words, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's also, um, you know, it's also a nice thought that you have um, a different currency out there also working for you. Um, and then I've still got uh, a property, um, which at the moment as well is not, you know, it's obviously a buyer's market at the moment, but we're not looking to sell and, you know, com- quite comfortable, um, but obviously very wary generally about what's going on um, in, in our economy and politically. Um, I have my ear close to the ground in that regard, and as everybody should. Do you find that the, the I mean, the, are you able to separate our political noise from emotion between yeah, you know, what's really going on in the world and what people are talking about going on? Because often there's there's no relationship between the two. Yeah, I think if you if you try and uh, widen your 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 listeners or, or what you listen to, uh, what yeah. you read, um, whether it's conservative, liberal, or whatever, you know, um, if you do that, you can come to some sort of uh, middle-of-the-road conclusion about what's going on. I think people are too sucked into one particular view and they tend to stick to it and don't uh, listen to anybody else's view. But I think, you know, to generate proper uh, empathy, you, you have to step out of your, your comfort zone. And I don't think enough uh, South Africans uh, do that. Um, just from a sporting point of view, you know, from a football industry, uh, within the football industry, we're quite diverse. And from that point of view, it's been a gift of some sort um, from a very young age to be to be involved in that industry. Um, but yeah, I, I, I take a uh, after retiring, um, I did uh, a BA through UNISA, a political science um, degree. Um, so just just naturally, uh, even though we have two kids, and I think anybody that have that has uh, children uh, should take an interest in what's happening around us. But, um, yeah, from a uh, personal point of view, I've always taken great interest in, in you know, uh, how our country is run. <laughs> or, 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 in some cases, often isn't for bits of time. Um, give me a sense of your worst ever decision. My favorite question is always the worst decision. That the one thing that you did that you wish you'd never done, that perhaps it cost you money, perhaps you learned a lesson from it, perhaps it was a good thing in the long term, or perhaps it was just a dumb thing to do with money. Um, yeah, the, the, to be honest, there hasn't been one sort of uh, enormous 
loss or catastrophic events. Um, uh, okay, okay, it doesn't have to be catastrophic. It just has to be slightly embarrassing. Um, no, uh, to go, I think I think probably cars were. You know, I went to a stage where um, I tried to keep up with the Mercedes, um, and it wasn't wise. I think uh, you know, cars are not a very good good investment, as, as cliched as it might sound. Um, so probably there were one or two cars which I could have um, I could have given a skip, you know, and, and, and saved uh, and, and put the money away uh, for any day, but uh, I didn't. I think uh, my ego got the better of me, you know, playing playing in, in Russia for six years, earning dollars or playing for Sundowns, you know, you do get sucked into that kind of um, uh, world. Um, so I'm just grateful that I, I realized sooner rather than later, you know. Matthew Booth, thank you so much for being a star and coming on to The Money Show this evening. Former soccer player at Bafana Bafana, Sundowns and others. Well, rule number one of money, never try and keep up with the Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. Thank you, Matthew Booth.